Welcome to Hallmark Up with Mary and Sarah. Hello, welcome to another episode of Hallmarked Up with Mary and special guest Ben this time. Sarah is not able to join us today, but she'll be back with us for the next one. Uh, this is season four, episode nine, if you can believe that. And the movie that we watched is Hanukkah on Rye. Welcome, Ben. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Mary. Thanks for having me on. And I think the first thing I need to say is that I noticed quickly in this movie that it's basically what could be described ungenerously as a ripoff or generously as an homage to You've Got Mail. Yeah, and You've Got Mail is itself uh, kind of a ripoff of a lot of old uh, Hollywood movies. Yeah, I thought so. so, but I couldn't think of what they were. No, yeah, they're not, it's not stuff that I would have, that you or I would have necessarily seen, mm-hmm. um, but the people who made You Got Mail definitely saw them. I haven't seen that movie in like 20 years. You know, it's been a while for me too, but I saw it a lot of times because it was my mother's favorite movie when I was growing okay. up. And so actually my mother watched this movie and didn't care for it because she was like, well, how can they try to redo You've Got Mail? You can't beat the original. <laughs> Wait till she finds out about uh, Hollywood. Right. And their ways. So anyways, this movie was the story of Molly and Jacob, who both run delis, which are family businesses. Molly is from New York City's Lower East Side, and her family's deli, Gilbert's, has been in business for generations, and they have famous latkes, and it wouldn't be Hanukkah without Gilbert's latkes. Whereas Jacob's family runs a West Coast deli called Zimmer's that is very successful. And it's implied that their deli is a little bit more cosmopolitan, a little bit less of the traditional Jewish deli that Gilbert's is, and something that has both those traditional Jewish deli dishes and then also, you know, other dishes from other cultures and other cuisines both have a slightly different kind of vibe to them and the fact that they have a slightly different vibe of course is something that's going to come up throughout yeah. the movie poutine comes up in particular uh zimmers in los angeles they serve poutine alongside the jewish food which i kind of recognized as a departure from the kosher rules of not mixing meat and dairy oh good call good yeah call. so that, that i think that was not selected by accident yeah you're probably right zimmers which again is jacob's family restaurant wants to open a new location on the Lower East Side. And so Jacob is moving out to New York and he's been tasked by the family with finding a location for this new you know, branch and getting it up and running. And of course, that's how he meets Molly. So they end up living in the same building actually. And they first meet in a scene where he's trying to figure out the mail key and she helps him out. And you know, some lady on whatever floor is being mean to him. And she says that, you know, she's been in the building, her family's been in the building for generations, and everyone in her family lives in the building, basically, whereas he's the new guy in town. Anyways, both of their grandmothers sign them up with a matchmaker without asking their consent. Both of them consider it a Hanukkah present. It's about to be the first night of Hanukkah. And the rules of the matchmaker are that they have to use aliases. They cannot use each other's real names. This is apparently to prevent them from like Googling each other or something. And they cannot use the internet in any way to communicate. Uh, they, instead, they have to write each other letters. The matchmaker provides the stationery 
and they send the letters through some sort of intermedi intermediary that she provides. Eventually, their doorman ends up taking over for that when he realizes they're both in the building, and he becomes sort of a straight man to a lot of the jokes throughout the movie. Doorman <clears throat> Thomas. My mom liked Doorman Thomas, she commented. Charming character. Yeah, he was a good character. Yeah. So they're writing to each other with the aliases Beth and David, and they're not allowed to meet until they've gotten to know each other through letters first. We have a scene soon after this in which they run into each other outside of Gilbert's. Remember, this is Molly's family's diner. And there's a line forming around the block for their famous latkes. I think it's the first night of Hanukkah. And Jacob makes comments to Molly about, oh, this place looks so dated. It looks so run down. And this is before he realizes that it's her family's diner and then he looks like a real idiot. And shortly after that, they end up writing each other their first letters. So he writes the first letter confessing that his grandmother made him do this matchmaking thing and he doesn't actually think he's looking for the one and so can they just be friends and pen pals instead and she's really relieved and writes back yes absolutely and they start writing cute letters back and forth meanwhile right. jacob continues kind of pursuing molly sort of reluctantly because he has a secret right right and uh molly remains interested in jacob in their real lives who she doesn't um, know, by the way, is about to open a rival deli down the street. She's heard of Zimmer's, but she doesn't know that he's related to it. And she does not know that they're about to open like on the same street, basically. Exactly. But the truth comes out before I would have expected, actually, earlier in the movie than I would have guessed. It does. And it happens at some point while Jacob is spending a lot of time at Gilbert's. So there are a bunch of different sort of scenes at Gilbert's where Molly has all of these ideas to get the business going. And this is very typically Hallmark, Ben. I don't know how many of these movies you've seen, but this um, is the only one. All right. A Hallmark virgin. Great. <laughs> so uh, there's oftentimes like a failing family business and they try these really gimmicky things to get it back off the oh, ground. That's interesting. And, and somehow yeah. it always works. So mm -hmm. things like in this case, let's have a Hanukkah songwriting contest and by the way, at this point, Lisa Loeb shows up and wins. So, oh, that's FYI. what that's who that was. I, I yeah. thought it was somebody kind of doing a Lisa Loeb thing. <laughs> no, it was Lisa Loeb because she was billed as being in this movie. And I really thought she was going to be like the main character, but no, it's really just a cameo where she wins the contest and accepts yeah. her prize, which is a bunch of trays of latkes and leaves. Sings a very nice song. Yeah, she I sings think a it's very worth nice song. It's worth mentioning that Molly's family deli, uh, Gilbert's, is more traditional. In fact, Molly's whole, whole family culture is uh, very traditional in the yeah. sense that everyone is kind of living on top of each other, all maybe perhaps not in the exact same building, although maybe. Yeah, it says um, they're, I think they're most of them actually literally in the same building. <laughs> right. They maintain the the a traditional Jewish American cuisine, um, mm -hmm. like your, you know, Ashkenazi European Jewish American cuisine in the deli and family is still making the food themselves and they stay strict the old recipes and they actually there's a lot of resistance to molly introducing any kind of uh new ideas right which is where gilbert's really departs from zimmer's and right. so speaking of their traditional family recipes jacob is spending a lot of time at gilbert's he clearly has a thing for molly and at one point he is tasting their corned beef and raving about how amazing it is and then one of his friends shows up. Uh, we don't know who this friend is or how they know each other. And this is the only time we ever see him. Friend shows up and says, oh, hey, what are you doing here? Are you scoping out the competition? And Molly's like, what? And so that's how she ends up finding out the truth. 
that Jacob is the son of the rival Zimmer's Deli family. Mm-hmm. And the, they're opening up a restaurant nearby. She's very upset about this, as one can imagine. And But we're still only about halfway through the movie at this point, which, as Ben mentioned, is pretty early for The Secret to come out. I thought that would be the climactic thing at the end. It's not. Yeah, there's always has to be a, a conflict in a movie like this. And since this came so early, it gives a lot of time for there to be more back and forth in the second half of the movie, where they're kind of making up, but then they have another little fight, which is different than other romantic comedies that I've watched. Right. Though I thought we'll get there, but I thought their other fight was a little bit contrived, but we'll we'll get there. Anyways, so at this point, they're still exchanging letters as their aliases, Beth and David, and they start to say, well, actually, maybe we're not just friends. Maybe we're soulmates. The shirt is the Yiddish word that they use in the movie for soulmate. Thank you. I had forgotten to note that and I had forgotten what it was. So thank you for bringing that up. Mm Mm-hmm. And at this point, they still don't know who each other is. That changes very soon after this. He realizes who she is, but she still doesn't know. So he realizes it because, A, she says something in her letter that's kind of identifying. I forget what it was. but I think he quotes uh, Ben Franklin to her, and then she repeats his own quote in the letter back to him. Oh, I'd forgotten about that. Nice catch. Yeah, But then on top of that, he kind of catches Doorman Thomas doing like the switcheroo with the letters. Right. So he, yeah, he figures it out. Right. And he's kind of like, oh, is Beth, you know, Molly, I forget where her last name was, Gilbert or whatever. And he's like, yes, you're a very lucky man. And so then he knows, but he doesn't know whether to tell her yet, because at this point she's still mad at him for, you know, opening a rival deli. Right. And the movie uh, tracks the nights of Hanukkah. And there's so many menorahs in the movie, you can always see how many candles are lit. Yes. So since there's eight nights in Hanukkah, we're we're about halfway through the movie. So this is day three or day four. Yeah, that's a kind of nice touch. It helps to like mark the passage of time in a way that, you know, is not always entirely clear. It's clever. And I would be surprised if this was the first movie that do something like that. Certainly the first romantic comedy, like silly movie, but it's something that I could see, could have seen in, you know, some other movie at some point. Yeah. I mean, I don't think Hallmark's done it before, but um, I could be wrong. I mean, Hallmark only started doing Hanukkah movies a few years ago. And Mm. something that I really liked about this one, because they didn't do this in their other Hanukkah movies, was the focus was actually on Hanukkah, whereas in past years, it's always been more like somebody who celebrates Christmas, but then like, I don't know, takes a DNA test and finds out they're part Jewish or something and tries. Oh, to my get... God. <laughs> yeah. So this is the first yeah. Hanukkah movie of the ones I've seen. I don't know that I've seen them all in which Hanukkah is actually the focus and it's not actually taking this sort of backseat to Christmas. So that was yeah, kind of nice yeah. in this one. The movie is actually, I think, is remarkable for its portrayal of Jewish American culture in some ways. I mean, it's not like this is something that isn't portrayed in movies and TV shows, Mm -hmm. you know, like Seinfeld or something, most famously. But it is a very specific kind of thing. You don't usually see Hollywood movies that are kind of about this, Mm -hmm. in a way. I'll I'll get more into this later. Let's continue with the, you know, the Knights of Hanukkah in Hanukkah on Rye. Anyways, in the meantime... Molly is still planning sort of gimmicky things to keep Gilbert's afloat, including jelly donut making class for children and a collaboration with friends in Chinatown for a Chinese dinner night with a movie for Christmas Day. And Jacob helps her advertise on social media because as she comes up with all of these 
ideas to keep Gilberts afloat, Jacob keeps inserting himself because he clearly is not willing to be, you know, sort of pushed out of her life. And her family, who doesn't know his secret yet, um, is all like, oh, yeah, he's such a nice boy. Let him help. And yeah, so, Molly has to be mysteriously cold to him yeah. in front of her family. Eventually, though, she confesses to <clears throat> Jacob that she does, in fact, have feelings for him. But she has feelings for her pen pal, David. And so <laughs> she right. can't be with Jacob because she wants to be with David. Now, Jacob, of course, knows they're the same person. She doesn't know this yet. In the meantime, Jacob says that he's considering moving Zimmers, maybe not opening right down the street. And he, she asks, is this just a business decision or is this because of her? And he says that, you know, can't it be both? Anyways, Beth and David, the aliases, decide that it's time for them to meet. And Jacob decides, this is what I'll do. I'll show up to this date with her and then I'll be like, hey, look, it's me. And this is when I tell her the truth. But of course, this goes wrong in the most contrived way possible. So oh, yeah. this is um, the only the only scene in the movie that I where I, I walked out for a little while. <laughs> and I, I liked the movie, but I mean, of course, you know, they set up a lunch date, right? Of course, they yeah. don't they can't actually make the date. It's sort of or maybe they're going to set up the lunch date and then they'll find out that they're the people that have been writing letters to each other. Right. Of course, Jacob can't show up because his parents out of the blue uh, fly in from Los Angeles to take him to a business meeting. Yep. And not just any business meeting, but they are insisting that he close on that Lower East Side location for Zimmers immediately that yes. day like we are signing this deal now and so of course he can't go to the lunch date because if he does they're just going to sign the deal and he doesn't want them to sign the deal because then they're going to be you know right by gilbert's they're going to end up putting gilbert's out of business anyways he ends up talking to his grandmother who explains that there's a family significance to opening on the lower east side the family significance is that when her mother so his great-grandmother first came to the u.s she started on the lower east side working in a deli with his great-grandfather and that's how they met and that's how they got started and then they decided to move to california and start their business but always with the intention of coming back to lower east side because that's where it all started for them and so once he realizes that there is this history and this family connection he decides okay let's go ahead and open this location on the lower east side even though we'll be competition to gilbert's in the meantime he has stood up poor molly slash beth and he called the restaurant to say he'd be late but while she's sitting there by herself, she ends up writing to David and telling him that, you know, thank you for not showing up because it's made me realize that I'm in love with somebody else. That's someone else, of course, being Jacob, who is David. So when they meet again, he tells her about the deal and the fact that they are going to be opening up right by Gilbert's and she's still willing to be together and this is no longer a deal breaker for her. But the deal breaker is when he tells her that he is David. At that point, she walks away and says she can't trust him anymore. This is the part that I thought was a bit contrived. Like, that's the deal breaker. The fact that he wasn't sure how to tell you and waited a couple of days. Like, I don't know. It's very silly. Yeah. I mean, I I would have expected it to be, you know, again, the deli. It's, it does set up one of the best scenes in the movie, though. Go which on. Which is towards the end, the Battle of the Boobies. So both grandmothers, <laughs> yeah. both bubbies, show up to the matchmaker's office intending to ask for refunds because their respective grandchildren have been matched with such inappropriate people. And then they realize who each other's are each other is. They realize that each is the grandmother of the person that they're complaining about, and they start arguing and they end up challenging each other to a latka cook-off. Their arguments sound just like my grandmother arguing with her friends over mahjong. 
That's amazing. I mean, two act these two actresses really nail it. Not everyone in the movie nails it. They definitely do. They were really cute. They were really I don't know. It, it, they were fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so the Battle of the Bubbies happens. Um, it's advertised online, apparently, as the Battle of the Bubbies. We keep hearing about things being advertised online as if this idea of advertising online is this really novel thing that nobody would have mm -hmm. thought of. Which reminds me also that at the beginning when they started writing letters to each other, that they made this big deal of like, oh, we're millennials. We don't know how to write letters. And it was very, like, as if we didn't learn how to write with pens in our generation. Anyways, whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that the idea is like, oh, millennials were, you know, born with smartphones in their hands. And they were actually right. invented in our adulthood. Right. It well, kind of seemed invented, like their audience you know was like I mean. boomers who wanted to have a laugh and be like, oh, haha, ha, the kids these days, they don't know how to write with a pen. Like, okay. That is indeed their audience. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, Battle of the Bubbies gets ad advertised online as the Battle of the Bubbies. And so both families show up and then the parents make friends, actually. And they say they just want the kids to be happy, but, you know, the Bubbies will not be satisfied without this battle. So it has to happen. Jacob and Molly are like, look, I tried to talk her out of it. And the other one's like, yeah, I tried to talk her out of it, too, but it's not going to happen. They must have this latka cook off. So they both make their latkes and then, you know, they're taste tested by the jury, which seems to be everyone in the neighborhood. And the problem is they realize that they taste exactly the same. And then they compare the recipes and there are the, you know, old recipes from their great grandmothers that have been handed down. It turns out they, they, are, they are the exact same recipe. Right. One of them I notice is written in Yiddish script, oh, nice. which is something that isn't usually seen. Somebody did really did their homework there. Nice. Nice. Nice catch. I did not happen to catch the writing on either of them, but very cool. Yeah. But anyways, it turns out that the two great grandmothers met on the ship over to the U.S., one from Russia and one from Poland, and immediately became BFFs and decided to share everything, like the recipes and whatnot. And they were like sisters to each other, but they left touch when one of them left for California. Sarah and Rebecca were the two grandmothers' names. This all comes together very quickly, by the way. Like, they put these pieces together, you know, instantly. Like, when they see the recipes, one of them's like, oh, yeah, that's right, I remember now. They actually decide that the families would be best not being in competition with each other and instead opening a deli together that would be called Sarah and Rebecca's. And we see, afterwards, we see some sort of, like, photo implying that's happened. Right. And then, of course, now we know that Molly and Jacob no longer have a barrier to their love and they are meant to be together and they were beshirt the whole time and the very last line is the matchmaker who i don't think has spoken up to this point looking no. straight at the camera and saying i still got it because right. she had a perfect record she had you know every match she had made had worked out so mm -hmm. the end yeah the matchmaker she was the best before we move on to the bingo moments, anything else you have to say about the recap or any other sort of comments about the movie? Or I've got I've got a few. You know, to expand on what I was saying about how this is sort of a remarkable representation of Jewish American life. Mm -hmm. It's remarkable because this is. Uh, I'm not going. I'm not. I, and this is going to sound like hyperbole, but it's not. I won't say an anti-Zionist movie, but it's the alternative to Zionism, which is that New York is the promised promised land. Oh, you're right, because they, they use that Jews. word multiple times. They they do. It's something, you know, Jewish people say. But specifically, like Jacob is told by his grandmother, New York is the promised land for nice Jewish girls. Mm -hmm. Right. And as soon as I heard that, I thought, 
Well, that's it. That's interesting. And the rest of the movie more or less supports this idea that the family, which is in Los Angeles, they've drifted from their roots, which is not necessarily a bad thing because uh, Jewish Americans assimilate, and that's not shown to be bad necessarily. Mm-hmm. They're they're meant to come back to New York, and why New York? Because that's the promised land, right? That's where you can live out your real Jewish identity. So. Israel is outside of the purview of this movie. New York is clearly the alternative. So it is a, I, you know, like I said, anti-Zionism is not the right word because it's it's that exists outside the movie. But you could call it like, like a diasporism, to borrow a term from Philip Roth. Yeah, um, I hadn't. That's a really good catch, Ben. Thanks for bringing that up. I hadn't noticed, but you're right that they definitely are creating this narrative around New York in that way. That's very interesting. Right, right, and their cultural touchstones are. You know, related to the religion, but they, they sort of revolve around these uh, Eastern European traditions, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if I want Jewish food in Philadelphia, there's not really a good Jewish to, uh, which is something I, I would also like to talk about. But um, I can go to a Polish restaurant and get more or less the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Have you so, ever been uh, to Jaime's in Lower Marion? Lower Marion is where you would still find a good one, probably. Yeah, no, I, I lived in, not, not far the from there until, yeah, I, I still live not too far from there, but it's it's a pretty good, you can get yeah. some pretty good food there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Jewish delis have uh, really fallen far from what they were. The movie addresses this. The realtor, I believe, speaks to Jacob in the new commercial space he wants to lease for this uh, restaurant, says Gilbert's the rival deli that Molly's family owns. They're mm-hmm. going to go out of business. These delis don't do so well anymore. And the realtor is... is correct because the audience for them has really really shrunk uh orthodox jews which are a greater and greater proportion of jews around the world including jewish americans these delis wouldn't meet their standards for kosher mm-hmm. they have their own their own businesses which are mostly not delis uh, they mm-hmm. do much more cooking at home what you're left with are the you know more secular jewish americans who may this food every so often but the standards just aren't going to stay quite as high i watched the uh, molly's family in this movie and i thought i really wish i had a deli like that in philadelphia i would go oh, the, you know the family they they really they really care I, i'll really quick give you a, a a good illustration of what you know where we're at with this, this sort of jewish tra- traditional jewish foods uh, a hamantashen, which is not a Hanukkah treat, that's a Jewish cookie that we eat on Purim. If you want a good one in Philadelphia, there's only one place to get it, and it's Frangeli's Bakery. It's an Italian bakery in South Philadelphia. Because huh. it is, Frangeli's is on the border between what used, what used to be the border between the Italian and the Jewish part of South Philly. And you can walk in there and you can see the Jewish hamantashen, these very distinctive looking cookies. And, you know, the, the teenagers who are behind the counter don't even know they're hamantaschen. They, the, the girl called them Jewish cookies. And I, I was really, I was really uh, very impressed with the cookie. I had no idea. I've, I've never heard of this cookie, um, which is probably unsurprising, but I, um, <laughs> I should check it out sometime. That's good. It's good. It's good. It's like a corner thing with um, a filling in the middle. Okay. Um, but anyway, yeah, back to Hanukkah and Rye. Just one more interesting uh, menorah symbology thing, mm-hmm. which is that Molly's family in their Lower East Side apartment, they have uh, these metal menorahs, which are very traditional looking. 
Mm -hmm. You could see them at like a really nice Judaica store. They're old fashioned, old fashioned and the ideal of a menorah. But whenever Jacob lights a menorah, it's much more modern looking one. Yeah, really interesting. Good catch. Thank you for bringing that up. You're welcome. I was going to say, I was going to add to something you said earlier before we finish the recap. You were talking about that you were impressed with this movie's representation of Jewish American culture. And I guess I just wanted to say that that's all the more remarkable for this being Hallmark, because I think Hallmark is actually usually really bad at representing anything, but, you know, like a pretty white conservative American culture. And so um, and even <laughs> stuff like, it sounds really banal, but even the fact that this entire movie takes place in New York City. You know, in Hallmark, it's really typical for us to see main characters leaving the big city and going to the small town, which is where they find, you know, the true spirit yeah. of Christmas or whatever. I could see that being a trope. Yeah. yeah. That's a good bingo. Congratulations. I still did manage to find some of my, you know, Hallmark bingo type moments. Do you have any that you would pick out? Or do you want me to go first or? There's a trope in the movie of like, if you find a penny on the ground and it's face oh. up, lucky penny. Right. The alias, uh, Jacob's alias, David and Beth's, um, uh, Molly's, Beth will write back about these lucky and they send them through the mail. And mm -hmm. I thought this is pretty and looks like it may have been lifted from another script. Um, yeah, I'm not aware if it is, but I think that some sort of superstition or some sort of like sign is definitely something that, you know we see yeah yeah like everything's got to be jewish in the movie i thought it was a uh, in an otherwise fairly tight script it was a little funky so yeah i had a couple of bingo moments that are really typical of hallmark movies one is a, a struggling family business that's in trouble i kind of already mentioned that another right. was at the end everybody's watching their first kiss and cheering afterwards and that's <laughs> something that happens a lot in Hallmark movies and is never not awkward. The other thing, I put groups singing at a menorah lighting. So, you know, obviously the more common Hallmark tropes have to do with Christmas, but we kind of have really similar, uh, there's kind of a very similar trope with the Christmas movies, right? Um, Christmas tree lightings and then singing at Christmas tree, Christmas tree lightings. This seemed like a way that they kind of translated that particular trope to Hanukkah. Right, right. I mean, when I thought like one of the, the few things in this movie where they didn't quite get the Jewish aspects right was the emphasis itself on Hanukkah, which is not really, a. it's it's like, it's probably like the fifth or sixth most important Jewish holiday, you know? Right. Hashtag relatable with Hallmark Top. So how about relatable moments? Was there anything you found relatable in this movie? The boobies simultaneously telling each one of their grandchildren, we need to talk. And the big talk is about how they need to find a, uh, a mate and they're going to look over your shoulder the whole time. <laughs> All right. So that, that's something that has happened to you in your time video. relatable. Okay. <laughs> nice. So the boobies <laughs> like to do. There's even, you have the word yenta for that um which probably has an english word equivalent but you know that'd be the matchmaker right yeah well yenta yeah but yenta is like the, the grandma who's also matchmaker oh gotcha okay and, cool and is also like the gossip you know okay nice yeah 
my relatable moment was at the beginning when Molly is having dinner with her family and then they're like, oh, take some leftovers home. And she's like, no, I don't want it. And they're like, no, you have to. <laughs> <laughs> so family forcing leftovers on you. That's probably something that Jewish American and Italian American families have in common. So yeah, if, yeah, if your family's up to doing some good, good cooking. Right, right. They're, they're not going to let you not finish it. I can remember my grandmother, it would even, it wouldn't even necessarily be sending leftovers home though. She did that too. It would be like, she'd be pushing the leftovers from her plate off on you. Like, so it seems like our biggest problem with this movie was a couple of moments that were really contrived notably a the fact that he stands her up on a date because his family showed up unannounced from la because who does that and b the her being mad at him not about the rival deli thing but about the fact that he didn't immediately confess that he was david the second he realized it yeah except we realized that you know, these are weak moments because they're extremely contrived and unrealistic. However, there are other things that happen in this that are very contrived and unrealistic, but work. Namely, the Battle of the Bubbies. And so, if we rewrite these moments to still be contrived and unrealistic, but to be over the top and ridiculous and just, like, lean into it, they might be funny instead of cringeworthy. Yeah. I think so. Is that I think that this is, they're playing... They're playing to what they think are their strengths by repeating the, you know, rehashing these scenes that we've seen in other romantic comedies. Yeah. You, know, you mentioned you've got mail, but it's, there's no way that's the only one, right? Right. There's always some sort of a, you know, I remember in the teen movies back in the day when we were, you know, we're about the same age. So, you know, when we were growing up in the late nineties and early two thousands, it was a trope of the teen movies that there was always like somebody made a bet or somebody was paid to do something or other and then the other person finds out like oh is that all i am to you and it was it's always you know yeah. there's some sort of a misunderstanding on that level that gets turned into the big breakup moment before they get back together right 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 and in in this movie they've already established that and they've built up that moment which is the the rival delis right exactly and so they've already sort of like thrown that one away <laughs> yeah yeah so you're right so what, what what happened was they needed another right or felt like they needed another Okay, well, maybe maybe they do. Maybe that's the script doesn't work without it, right? Even if they leaned into the surreal, like you were saying, they could come up with something that doesn't feel, you know, warmed over and cringe. So let's think about, for instance, the moment where his family shows up from L.A. How do we make that seem not warmed over and cringe? Do we have it be something else that prevents him from going to that date? Or do we still have it be his no. family and just find a way to just sort of like up the comedy? Yeah, up the comedy, definitely. If they set up the date, he's got a he should go on the date. But maybe something that's even in the way of that. Or I mean, so what you really get out of him standing her up on the date of it is that Molly no longer wants to be with the David the letter writing right. guy. So in order to make the rest of the movie still work, all we need to do is rewrite that scene in such a way that she doesn't want to be with the the letter the letter writing guy rewrite that scene in such a way that she still doesn't want to be with the letter writing guy is that what you're saying yeah yeah where okay. she she wants to be with them but now she doesn't the letter writing guy screws up but he screws up different right okay let's have her get mad at david somehow yeah so the family shows up and instead of having a nice like sweet heart to heart with his grandmother let's have him every five minutes trying to find a way to like sneak out and get to his lunch date Okay, yeah, I like that. 
and we can just sort of like up the cringe humor every time and then finally he gets there and or now back up instead of finally he gets there let's say he does call ahead to the restaurant like he did in this movie Mm -hmm. but he makes up some lame excuse this time okay and that ends up making her really angry what kind of lame excuse would he make up it's shabbos i don't want to i don't want to call a cab okay okay no no i that came to mind or maybe he tells the truth and she's like oh my gosh that's such a flimsy excuse how dare you lie to me like he tells the truth where he's like he calls head to the restaurant he's like i'm sorry i'm late my family showed up out of nowhere from across the country and she's like come on think of something more realistic than that if you're gonna lie to me uh, yeah sounds made up right that sounds made well, up what does sound made up one of the more redeem i will say one of the more redeeming things about that uh passage in the movie he, he doesn't become furious with uh <laughs> the let with david which to me was a relief because you know i didn't feel like watching a whole scene of like there being like angry fallout from this nonsense that's fair that's fair so that sort of calls into question our rewrite strategy in this particular moment so you know i think it's for for me i think it's enough to say that such things are possible the other scene that we thought was pretty cringe was when she gets really angry at him for not having confessed that he's david right away how do we up that one like do we take it up a notch or do we just have their fight be over something else entirely i guess you have to set up the battle of the boobies like there's so still something at stake that alone such an effective scene that I actually don't think it needs that motivation to to build on. Yeah. But like, you know, maybe she doesn't have to be bad. She just ha she just has to maybe feel like, oh, I I'm not a you but I you know, we're gonna be just rivals and you know, this is not it's it's almost like dating a coworker or something. Which would be a much more realistic reason for her to be upset in this scene rather than Yeah. It's a conflict of interest. Maybe she's she's actually a little and Jacob's upset for the same reason. Yeah. Oh, they can't be together they can't be together. Right. And maybe the battle of the bubbies was already brewing before this and it sort of like fans the flames. Maybe they're both yeah, weird, could... really oddly invested in the battle of the bubbies. <laughs> yeah, I no, I think this is actually I think we're on to something here is that they can you know, there's plenty of uh, movies or fi any kind of fiction where two people like each other but they feel like they can't be together because of reasons outside their control. Yeah, and you know, Hallmark is usually so bad at giving us that reason. I feel like I talk about this a lot. This is sort of a recurring thing for me as regular listeners will know that oftentimes we get to the end of a Hallmark movie and I'm like, there was no reason for these two people not to be together and they had to come up with something stupid and contrived in the last, you know, five uh, minutes to... Seems necessary, right? Because we right. live in a world where there's lots of reasons not to be with someone. Right, and in this case, there actually was a good reason for them not to jump at the chance to be together. Like, that is a serious, like, something that could cause serious relationship conflict i think and they just yeah. sort of like did away with it in the first half of the movie and we're kind of like nah and then later had to think of a stupid reason for them not to be together that they had to get over oh. so okay I, I yeah know. i think i think in this case we've got it is that is that for the script to let them both you know realize that this is actually a huge conflict 
Right. You know? And maybe they realize that talking about the Latkas and this is part of what leads to the Battle of the Bubbies. Yeah. Maybe they're like, oh my gosh, you know, I can't believe that, you know, I didn't see before that we are meant to be together and who cares that Gilbert's Latkas are better than Zimmer's. And he's like, wait a second, Gilbert's Latkas are not better than Zimmer's. <laughs> right. And that, and that's, that sets it, that sets it. Yeah. 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 I, 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 I like that. This is because it's a, it, this is an entreaty to the, you know, the people writing these movies to, that you've, you know, you've worked so hard, you've created these characters for us to care about. Now, you know, treat them with some respect. Yeah. Yeah. At least in this case, I can't speak to movies. I think they did a good job on these characters. You know, it's a very storytelling. It was, uh, it was some good work they put in earlier in the movie. Yeah, I think that this was a better than average Hallmark movie on several levels, including character development, including humor hallmark to be honest they usually don't even attempt humor but when they do it usually goes badly and in this case it kind of worked for part of the movie and you know including sort of like creating an atmosphere well i mean i guess they do create an atmosphere it just usually is feels less authentic but jewish grandmothers are very funny there we go i mean that is comedy territory is the jewish american bubby no who, That's who, been who where Hallmark movies have gone wrong this whole time. There have been no bubbies. Yeah, well, you know, who won't mind her own business. Right. So usually at this point in the podcast, we have a look at the titles for next week and guess what they're going to be about. We don't have any titles for next week because we have actually reached the end of the Hallmark countdown to Christmas season. But I do want to take this moment to say that this is the only time I can think of that our prediction has been 100% accurate because last week... We looked at the title of Hanukkah and Rye, and we were like, oh, there are going to be Jewish delis involved. Maybe they run two rival Jewish delis, and that's the conflict. Oh, yeah. You're kidding was... me. You guys actually called that? Yeah, we completely called it. You can listen to our last episode and fast forward oh, to man. the end, and you'll hear it. We 100% called it. They should hire you. <laughs> well, they should hire on... us for many reasons. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're on to these people. We, we think that Sarah's got a theory that they're listening to us and that's why their movies are getting marginally better because they're listening to us and taking some of our ideas. Like it used to be that the movie always ended with, you know, the female lead leaving her high powered career woman job and marrying the man in the flannel, flannel shirt immediately. And now she usually doesn't do that. Now, sometimes they, you know, make it work in other ways. Yeah. And so... <laughs> So maybe they're they're listening to us. And there were a few movies this year that were, I think, significantly above the Hallmark average. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe that's something, you know, maybe the last episode of the season, Sarah and I can do sort of a retrospective on the season and talk a bit more about that. But there were several this year that, you know, were not as painful to sit through as they used to be. Some still were. Some still were. I'm well, looking at you, A Cozy Christmas Inn. But... Wouldn't surprise me if Practice Makes Perfect. Yeah. The, and... the whole Hallmark movie thing is very much, and it's a throwback to like the studio system, where yes. you would have a, a production company that would just turn lots and lots of movies with like directors that you would never, directors who you don't know their names, or even actors and actresses where you don't know their names, mm-hmm. but people see them because it's a, a Paramount movie or something like that. It absolutely is a throwback to that in a yeah. slightly shittier way, usually, but you know, every now and then they. <laughs> Oh, they made so much. They made back then too. But this is how our great grandparents watched movies. There you go. Yeah, 
and because yeah. there there are characteristics of a hallmark movie it is you know a genre in a way a subgenre and the first thing that you need to know about a Hallmark movie to understand something about it isn't who directed it and who acted in it. It's the fact that it's a Hallmark movie. So yeah, it is a throwback to that system in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like for instance, like, do you remember the name of the person who directed Casablanca? Right. Absolutely not. No, no one, no one does. (laughs) You can look it up. Turns out, I I forget the name, but turns out, you know, good movies, talent. It was a company and that was, that was that. Yeah. An auteur. Well, I think, though, there is one thing that will always be true in Hallmark movies. They will. (laughs) Fall in love. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Ben, to help us conclude this season of Hallmarked Up. Like I said, maybe me and Sarah will get together for one more sort of retrospective episode. We'll see. So um, thank you, listeners, for joining us this season. Yeah, a happy Hanukkah to those who are celebrating right now and a Merry Christmas to those who are celebrating in a few days. And Happy New Year to all. Thank you for listening to Hallmarked Up. Find us online at hallmarkedup.com, on Instagram at Hallmarked Up, and on Facebook at Hallmarked Up with Mary and Sarah. Remember to follow, listen, and review wherever you get your podcasts.